Hello, once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Rayhawk. And I'm your co-host, Jackson Eflin. Thank you for joining us for episode 10 of our prep school bracket. This week we will be discussing 2008's Wild Child as well as 2007's St. Trinian's. For once, we have a very well-paired bracket. These make sense to talk about together. They are both narratives in which a girl enters a private school and goes through a lot of adventures. These are very like fitting apropos movies with comparable arcs. Yeah, they both take place in all-girl British boarding schools. They follow a fish out of water acclimatizing to the new school. Both involve the girls getting up to pranks and hijinks. There's both some sports for somewhat dubious plot reasons. They came out like a year apart. Mm -hmm. Like they... They were probably in production around the same time. Well, I don't know. Centrinius' budget was about a shoestring and a dog. So I assume that they could have made that in like six weeks tops, but... And, and not like a shoestring budget as in like it was thin. Like a shoestring budget is a literal shoestring. It was probably used. <laughs> I used shoestring budget. Uh, they spent all their money on the actors, which honestly, good place to spend it. Yeah, they got Colin Firth. Yeah, and then made reference to other Colin Firth movies. It's wild to me that they didn't mention Game of Thrones at all, despite having Lena Headey in it. Yeah, that was two thousand and seven. No, it wasn't that. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's not yeah. nothing. Yeah. So rather than do like all of one film and then. All of the other film, because these are so similar, we're going to do a compare-contrast style episode. And I think we wanted to start with which school has the better curriculum? Which school better prepares its students? Okay, so on the one hand, Centrinians gets everybody ready for a active and very team-based life of crime. On the flip side, uh... I, I'm looking up the school day right now because I realized I didn't remember it. I'm like, oh, we need that for multiple reasons. Whereas Abby Mountain encourages the girls to be participants in policing and enforcing their own, which lends to the idea that they will be ready for civilian justice. And I think civilian justice can be important if you want to have a non-hierarchical system. Although on the flip side, civilian justice is how we get Frankenstein. It's also how we get lynch mobs. Yeah, tornado potato. <laughs> the film does specifically dig into the abuse of that... Those who are entrusted with that power with Harriet. Yeah. And, you know, her attempting to frame Poppy for arson in, in this movie for teenage girls. Okay, okay. There is one arson in Wild Child. Centrinians is like, drink every time something explodes. Yes. Drink every time someone does or is drugs. <laughs> <laughs> does or is drugs. <laughs> That to be, does drugs or is drugged, but I got a smooshed in my head. Are you sure that Jodie Whittaker did not come with you before we start recording with a bag of red and blue pills? Red ones bring you up, blue ones bring you down. Go for your life. I think that is probably better for, like, actual normal curriculum to, you know, pass your SATs or whatever the British version is. <laughs> I can't think of a, a pun for this. <laughs> On the flip side, Centrinians is a career school as opposed to like a sort of traditional subject-based school. There's a lot of validity to that. It's a vocational program. Right. And they clearly do learn things. We have that one lady who's a PR guru. We have 
These characters learning about uh, chemicals, mathematics, history, trivia. Then yeah, there's even an auto shop there. While it's very unconventional, all these kids are definitely getting a pretty thorough education in things that they're going to be able to specifically apply later in life. Yeah. It's just not all of those things are going to be strictly legal. No. But I mean, if you can master crime, you can master other things. Yes. So I guess we're coming towards the Trinians for having the better curriculum. I think we see more of St. Trinian's success stories mm. than we do for Abbey Mount. Right. That said, we don't see, like, failure stories for Abbey Mount, so it's kind of a, it's a neutral thing. Yeah. Yeah. The most we know about Abbey Mount graduates is one was the headmistress, and then another graduated and then married some rich guy in Malibu. And she died. To our knowledge, no one from St. <laughs> Trinian's has died. Whereas we have at least one death on the hands of Abbey Mountain. That's not true. Someone just from St. Trinian dies in the movie. Mr. Darcy. Okay, he's a dog. <laughs> he wasn't a student. He was a mascot. He put his life on the line for his school and his sisters. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Don't you terrible little Mr. Darcy sacrifice. <laughs> okay, fair. Let's flip it then. Mr. Darcy uh, died a hero. Mrs. Emma Roberts' mom died a tragic backstory. <laughs> yes. Like, tragic Disney princess backstory. Yes, exactly. How does this go from which has better education to which death is better? I think the next comparison point that we should get into is uh, the protagonists and like their arcs. Yeah. I will say that uh, in Wild Child, we have a more coherent arc for Poppy because she's clearly a central character. Yeah, whereas Annabelle is more of a point of view character for a large ensemble. And even then is gets surprisingly little screen time. They have almost opposite arcs. Annabelle goes from this wilting flower to being just as much of a fierce criminal as everybody else, whereas Poppy Moore goes from being functionally Verity Thwaites to being nicer. And finding true friendship and not the fake friendship that she had in Malibu. Right. Whereas Annabelle also finds like real friendships, which is nice. Like I, I appreciate that. Both films start with this fish out of water story about finding friendship slash family at this new school with all the eccentricities that come along with it. But I definitely think that Poppy's story is much more coherent than Annabelle's. St. Trinian's just has a lot going on and it barely really even has Annabelle as a protagonist. I mean, you could make arguments for Miss Fritton as a protagonist. You mm -hmm. can make argument for Kelly Jones. And while it's kind of a more generic arc, like we've seen the um, shitty Malibu girl becomes nice narrative over and over, it's still like, it's it's done well. Yeah. Um, the, you know, defrosting ice cream works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll definitely give it to Wild Child for that arc narrative. Mm -hmm. I, I also think part of what informs both of these character arts is their home life. They both are not doing so well before they come to school. Mm-hmm. Annabelle is kind of a sheltered kid with a shitty dad and no mom in the picture, whose dad is willing to basically sell her out for a quick buck. And is, like, attempting to haggle down the price of her tuition with his sister, who he hasn't talked to in 15 years. Well, I haven't had a word from you in over 15 years. I sent flowers. A wreath. For mommy's funeral. And when she calls to ask for help, he's partying it up with a bunch of ladies and just doesn't listen to her complaints or her worries about, you know, legitimately uncomfortable things that happen to her. Yeah, he wants her out of her hair, and this was the easiest, cheapest option. Mm -hmm. Then Poppy Moore. Yeah, 
So Poppy Moore, honestly, the beginning of Wild Child starts off incredibly odd. We honestly get a lot more of the frame story than we strictly need. There's these heart-to-heart -heart conversations she has with her sister that become pretty irrelevant as soon as she goes to the UK. I'm not even sure if the sister shows up at the end when she's back with her friends in Malibu. Yeah, I don't think so. Or she doesn't have any like noticeable lines or they don't have a conversation. It's weird because at the beginning of the film, they're close enough sisters that they share a bed because the little sister is upset. But England's so far away. Well, at least they speak American there, right? But who's gonna cut the crust off my sandwiches? You're gonna be fine, Mom. I promise. But it honestly doesn't really matter because she's such a non-character. Right. She's more there as a way to take care of the exposition of this is what home life is like. This is why I'm sad because mom is dead. Right. Which I understand you need a character for that. But I think you probably could have rolled her and her shitty friend into one person for that. Mm -hmm. And that would have both made the shitty friend's betrayal or whatever more significant, uh, more painful. And maybe you could have checked in with her once or twice more and kind of seen that change happen. Mm -hmm. And you have like... like the friends who are, I don't know, brash Malibu teens or whatever. They support her in throwing her stepmoms in uh, pranking, would you call it? Pranking her stepmom? Like, destroying her property, because, like, most of that's not going to be salvageable. Yeah. Like, I I get that they are supportive friends-ish, but it seems like they're more in it for, like, the hoodlumery than for the, you know, yeah. supportiveness. We also never actually visually see the stepmom that's Poppy's so upset that is moving in. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, like... She's somehow also played by Lady from Parent Trap. <laughs> Honestly, if they had gotten the one who played Meredith in the Parent Trap to play her, that would have been amazing. Agreed. When are we going to get Parent Trap on a bracket? I would like to not do a bracket of Lindsay Lohan movies. That's fair. <laughs> kidnapping! Is there kidnapping in Parent Trap? No, there's uh, kidnapping in Lindsay Lohan. And I get why the reaction is extreme. And I do appreciate that she kind of earned this for herself. It's not like... She's being shipped off. It makes her a more active participant in her growth arc than Annabelle, who just sort of has a growth arc foisted upon her. I think that's part of the problem with Annabelle as a protagonist is she's not very proactive for most of the film. Her most proactive thing is the shot she takes against Ver Verity at the climax of the film. Yeah. She does stuff throughout the film, but it's all part of the plan and less about herself, if that makes sense. Exactly. And I mean, I think there's an argument to be made for ego death as part of the group, but it is not a traditional way we structure films. Mm -hmm. There's also, I think that moment of her facing off against Verity would have been more significant if we had seen more of her being shy and standoffish and not willing to get involved with things. And this was her finally just taking charge and us being able to see that significant character growth as opposed to she's kind of in the background for a lot of these scenes and then all of a sudden oh yeah i need to step up otherwise saint Tridians is doomed i'll handle this but annabelle, annabelle she's mine annabelle annabelle come in she had that fierceness in her but whenever verity was around she kind of went back to the wilting violet mode that mm -hmm. might have been a good way to like have her like finally overcoming that at the end easy arc to do but there just wasn't enough time for it and all the other stuff happening in that movie yeah yeah what would happen if the protagonist switched man um 
So one of the first things that happens with Poppy is that she's bullied by Harriet, the resident mean girl. She's not actually bullied by Harriet. Harriet tries to befriend her because she's the new person and Poppy blows her off. Right. So she blows and she also blows off her roommate. So Annabelle obviously wouldn't have done that, especially not to Kate. Kate no. and Annabelle, when she starts off, are pretty similar. Yeah. Honestly, Annabelle probably would have been very happy to have like someone treat her like a friend. And it probably would have just been a story of her being drawn between Kate, who probably would want to bring her out of her shell, versus Harry, who probably would want another toady. Yeah, and I think Annabelle beginning to realize that Harriet is exactly like Verity from her old school. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There's an Oscar Beatty story of like cycles of, cycles of abuse and getting over it with your friends and, and teenagehood there. Meanwhile, Poppy Moore as St. Trinity's. I mean... On one hand, it's so low rent. <laughs> she would be miserable at first. Yeah. I do think she would pretty easily fall in with the posh toddies, though. I'll tell you that. So she'd probably just be subsumed into the posh toddies and be, I don't know, one of the quiz show folks. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that St. Trinian's falls if, po if Poppy Moore is there? Or does Poppy Moore have the kind of tenacity and ruthlessness to like help him succeed in other ways? Here's the thing. We've already established that Annabelle is not very central to the heist and saving St. Trinian's. Right, her only thing is just at the end stopping Verity Thwaites, which someone else could have done. Yeah, so Annabelle not being there doesn't change the main crux of the film at all. Whereas Poppy not being in Wild Child is a completely different movie. Yeah. I will say that Poppy would probably have had less of an arc in Ascentrinians. Yes, I definitely would agree there. Yeah. Like, she'd just be one of the background characters, of mm -hmm. which there are many. Yeah. Background characters desperately seeking a spotlight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would definitely make Centrinians a less good movie. I think Animal Going to Abbey Mount would be less of a fun movie. It might still be a good movie, but it would be, it'd be too different to know. Mm -hmm. Domesticated Child, or whatever you call it. Next thing on our list, which film has the better friend group? Hmm. And we can think of this as one in, you know, a couple different ways. Like, which film do we feel has a stronger bonds of friendship between the protagonist and those they you know befriend or which would be a better group to join hmm. well <laughs> we know that i wanted to join the saint trinian's group <laughs> we know who i am as a person as a messy gay bench i think that for a normal healthy well-adjusted person unlike myself <laughs> The Abbey Mount friend group is probably a better choice. They seem like they have a well-rounded group. You've got um, the big sister, you got Baby Spice, Sarcastic Spice, and uh, Brainy Spice. They have names. Who kind of have a good ensemble of different emotional needs you could have around you. And, and they clearly are the right people to help Poppy more be better. Mm. On the flip side, um, I think with Centrini, you kind of have to earn the friendship. But they also have this incredibly strong sense of one of us, this, this clan loyalty that Annabelle deeply needs. She didn't really have anybody in her corner before, and mm -hmm. so I think that was the right thing for her, but I'm not sure if it's what everyone needs. Yeah. There, there's an easy opportunity to like enable someone's bad behaviors if you're not careful. With St. Trinian's, it feels a lot like sibling rivalry between the different cliques. They mess with each other, but no one from the outside gets to mess with any of them. There's a bit during the field hockey game where Annabelle opens up about Verity's bullying, and they kind of shield wall around her, and I really liked that. Although, if I had to choose a all-female group of teens from the British Isles to join, I would obviously choose the girls from Dairy Girls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so say we all. But they're not an option, sadly. They are not. How else do we want to compare these films? 
We haven't really talked about the antagonists of these films much, though. Okay, let's get into who our antagonists are. We've got, on one side, Minister Thwaites and Verity, and on the flip side... And to a certain extent, Annabelle's father. Yeah, although he is more of a Tamatoa than a Judge Frollo. Mm, Fair enough. And if you didn't understand that analogy, what are you doing listening to this podcast? (laughs) If you didn't understand that analogy, that's understandable. Honestly, that was kind of dense even for me. (laughs) Then we got Harriet at uh, Abbey Mount. Yes. And I guess Poppy Moore is, there's a little, there's a bit of like protagonist versus self in this. Yes. Especially at the beginning of Wild Child, Poppy is definitely a bit self-sabotaging. Mm-hmm. Just because she can't get over herself and her dead mom. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's understandable. I understand not being able to get over the dead mom easily, but she is so full of herself. That's, that's true. Yeah. I think on that level, <clears throat> Poppy is a more interesting antagonist for Poppy, but I think Harriet is a bit too cartoony for the rest of the film. Verity Thwaites is played by a 30-year-old actress. Right. But the rest of the film is very cartoonish. Whereas Harriet dresses up like uh, Kira Knightley from Pride and Prejudice and makes her totally dress up like Mr. Darcy. But everybody else is being, I don't know, normal? Well, it's supposed to be a costume party, but like no one cares. Yeah. Harriet's need to control everything did get us those two girls in Mr. Darcy costumes and they look fantastic. Fair. I will also say that um, Harriet is a better foil for Poppy because Harriet and Poppy are fairly similar just from different sides of the pond whereas Verity is more of a standard bully than anything else. She's not like playing on like complicated things about Annabelle. She's just the cause of Annabelle being like that. Yeah and she's not complicated at all like she's just like your basic bully and she's kind of only there so Annabelle has someone to bounce off of so our like our main antagonist for that film is Minister Thwaites Mm -hmm. and Minister Thwaites is trying to close the school but is also super incompetent at it Mm -hmm. he's not a very good strong antagonist he never really causes that much trouble for the girls Honestly, the biggest antagonists are the banks. <laughs> right, which are kind of more of a nebulous thing that, like, you, you get the impression that this is not the first time something like this has happened. Yeah. So, like, there are a lot of obstacles in St. Trinian's way, but they are either not active or not competent. There's not a whole lot of strong pressure on them. Honestly, I was kind of just grabbing for the first thing that came to mind earlier with the Tamatoa and Frollo thing, but that's not a bad comparison. Wild Child is a bunch of people who are in a set space that they can't really leave, uh, having to deal with each other and growing as people, whereas uh, Centurions, you have a lot more, more you have a lot more mobility and a lot more obstacles that don't really come back or aren't really as much of a problem because you have a very diverse crew with a lot of agency and plot armor behind them. Yeah, and you don't have a character like Maui who is very complex to unpack that is your through line through everything. Yeah, we kind of need a few less characters in Centrinian so we could have someone with that through line there. That actually leads uh, well into our next bit of comparison. How do we feel these films balance their ensemble? Hmm. Well, on the one hand, Centrinian is almost like, whoops, all ensemble, no protagonist. Honestly, they balance their ensemble too much. Everyone gets approximately equal amounts of screen time for the most part. And our attention is so divided. This would have worked better as a, like a book where you have 
changing narrators every chapter or as a miniseries and you change point of view characters? You know what this feels like, actually? A tabletop game. You got about five players uh, playing Annabelle, Andrea, Taylor, Polly, and Kelly. And the DM is doing a very good job of shifting the spotlight so they all have equal amount of time. Mm-hmm. Which probably feels great to play, but isn't as much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, I can have the opposite problem with Wild Child. Poppy Moore is a strong attack. Is a strong protagonist, but Kate, Drippy, Josie, and Kiki are all kind of an amalgam for me. Like, I get who they are, I get why they're like that, but they kind of fade a bit. I think there's, there's they're, not quite enough differentiation there. Yeah, their, their differences are pretty minor, and they don't get a whole lot of their own agency. Yeah. I think if each of them had some problem that they worked on throughout the school year and Poppy was a part of helping them through that, I think that would have made things stronger. Like if the pranks that they were pulling to try and get Poppy expelled were in some way like getting back at people who had wronged them or fixing problems that they had. Uh, bringing in another film that we watched the podcast, Mona Lisa Smile does a great job of this. Right, exactly. I really get who all these characters are, what their arcs are, and where they're going. Mm-hmm. I guess the ideal ensemble is somewhere in the middle of these two films. Mm-hmm. I think I prefer the way Wild Child balances it, because we at least have a strong protagonist and a strong antagonist. We even have a pretty decent love interest. And then we have a support... <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't give a shit about Freddy, but to each their own. He's decent. That's true. He makes sure to have her home by eight, mister. <laughs> the thing that makes Freddy most interesting is that they have to hide the relationship because his mom is the head uh, mistress. Yeah. If you're going to have a very generic love interest, I think that's an easy but interesting way to complicate that. I get where you're coming from, but also I get this vibe that Freddy just like lives in a tower in the school and doesn't like leave or doesn't get to leave that often or, or it... It feels like he's the Quasimodo of this story. <laughs> what if Quasimodo was insatiably hot? What if he went from beast to beastly? God. So, like I was saying, like Wild Child, strong antagonist, strong protagonist, and we have some supporting characters who don't take up much space. Yeah. St. Trinian's is kind of like all over the place. St. Trinian's is if you took one of the ocean movies and geeked gave each of the members of the heist ex- the exact same amount of screen time, and it just doesn't work. You don't strictly need everybody who's part of that heist. Like, I get why they're all there, but you know, Andrea and Taylor, who are kind of just there to make friends via heist, which I'm all for, but they're not necessary for the plot. You could have had just one or two of them, or have them do something else while Kelly is doing the main heist bit or something. Yeah, I mean, Cilia doesn't really even have that much of a part in the heist she is feeding answers to the posh toddies and then their earpieces go out Mm -hmm. it's not that impressive and it doesn't quite work i think if you lose one or two of the girls or at least make them more background that's probably better for your narrative i honestly prefer that actress's character in wild child drippy yeah (laughs) she is more important there than she is here wild child does make better use of his juno temple Mm -hmm. so last thing wanted to talk about both of these films interact with our preconceived notions of intelligence in interesting ways. I will admit it's much more obvious in how that works in St. Trinian's, uh, but I do want to comment on it in Wild Child as well. Sure. Before you do, I have a, an actual final, final thing, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so Centurions has this whole, like, the posh toddies who are, I, I guess bimbos is kind of the, not hashtag great way to phrase it, but that's kind of the vibe they're going for. I like to use airhead because airhead, it is yes. not gendered. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're they're very airheadish, but then they, one of them turns out to just also be smart anyway. Smart is cool. It is? Yes. And very, very sexy. Not even just one of them. Like, each of them are able to in the final round use their personal experiences in order to catch up by nearly a hundred points to the opposing team. Right. And we do see that throughout. There's a bit where Chelsea, kind of our um, our, our central uh, Poshtani, seduces a guy to learn to learn what security features the museum has. Then she's not just saying, oh, they have three guards at the door or security cameras. She lists off a truly staggering number of things that she apparently got out of this guy, along with one or two other things, which implies a really good memory. Okay, they've got 28 CCTV cameras on separate circuits, four shifts of 12 armed guards who patrol all the galleries 24 hours a day. Pressure alarms, invisible random lasers, and hydraulically operated reinforced steel shutters. Golly. I'm not a fan of like using ability to retain trivia facts as equal to intelligence, because there's only one aspect of intelligence, but mm -hmm. whatever. How does it come up in Wild Child? It's actually kind of the exact opposite. There's this one scene in Wild Child where Poppy is in the headmistress's office and the headmistress is asking whether she has read a specific book or something to that effect. What do you like to read, Poppy? Okay, magazine, people, Us Weekly. Well, might you be able to tackle such thing as a book? I prefer movies. The way that line is delivered and used in the movie is to make it appear that Poppy is less intelligent because she prefers film, uh, prefers watching movies to reading books. As as the host of a film podcast, you can understand why I have issues with that. Mm -hmm. It's a weird thing for a movie to say, but whatever. Yeah, it's not the first movie to do it. It's not going to be the last movie to do it, but there's definitely this sense within our culture that reading books makes you smart watching movies insinuates that you're less intelligent not to mention what you read being valid in different ways so like you know the novel uh is valued highly whereas like reading magazines is less so the whole comics versus graphic novels things all about that mm -hmm. and there's issues of ableism running through all of this because who can access what kind of mediums in which ways is a complicated thing for different people yeah being as me i distinctly prefer films and other visual media to books but that's also because i am a visual learner like i can read a book and i can pick things up that's but that's not my preferred method of acquiring knowledge so i watch a lot of youtube videos on a var wide variety of topics i love film i think you know i love film <laughs> it's come up once or twice it's come up um over a hundred times honestly <laughs> um and that doesn't really get an arc. Like, she doesn't wind up having, like, a more nuanced conversation about intelligence and media consumption, nor does uh, the headmistress later come into that. Oh, yeah, of, of course not, because the film doesn't want to engage with that. It's just this one-off line that is supposed to be utilitarian to show that Poppy is uncurious. Mm -hmm. the, the film doesn't really engage with it. Although it does walk back Poppy not being curious, not being intelligent in the way that she pushes the field hockey team into shape. Uh, like she takes over training and to a certain extent coaching that team and is able to get them into a championship, one that they haven't been uh, able to win since her mother was in school. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I think she doesn't necessarily have the sort of intelligence that we necessarily associate with, like, books and, like, trivia learning, but she has a lot of social and cultural intelligence mm-hmm. and probably winds up having a lot of emotional intelligence through the course of the film, mm-hmm. which are also very important and also yeah. undervalued in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's because they're often associated with women. Yeah, right? Right? And I kind of wish that the film had dived into that, especially for a school movie, talking about what learning we value, what learning we don't. Mm-hmm. And how the boarding school is a unique experience to encapsulate all that learning into one space. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of the more successful films on this bracket have done. You said you had one final, final thing. So what is that? Well, actually, um, I have two final, final things. One of them doesn't matter. It's which has the better matron? Both films have a character whose only name is Matron. Uh, and who serves as the matron. God, this is such a hard decision because on one hand, we just have Moaning Myrtle. (laughs) And on the other hand, we have this raucously drunk lady. (laughs) Who I deeply love. I do. Uh, She creates a drink inspired by her ex or late husband. It's not made clear which. Uh, I call it the Gerald. The Gerald after my first husband. Cheap, bitter, and completely alcoholic. There's also at one point in the final of School Challenge where she is yelling what she believes to be the right answer at the TV. And is heartbroken when um, her student says something different. Is it pineapple? And then completely tries to shrug it off when her student ends up being right. It's like, uh, it's a it's a fun scene. Um, it is. <laughs> the editing there is truly excellent. The editing through the film not very good, but that one scene excellent editing. Mm-hmm. Um, Although we do also have um, the matron from Wild Child getting the death metal <laughs> cassette stuck in her car, and she has to drive with it down the road as the students are in the bus just cracking up. Mm-hmm. Both of the matrons are good in their own way. I think Wild Child uses its matron more in a more interesting way for the plot. I think St. Trinity uses them better for humor. And I think St. Trinity is going more for humor than plot. So I guess success there. Um, yeah. Same thing for Wild Child. Yeah. So, yeah. My other thing was knowing things about Pride and Prejudice helps you enjoy both these movies. Obvious for Wild Child, I'm not quite certain what you're talking about for St. Trinian's. Oh, Mr. Darcy. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. I I forgot about the dog. How could you? He gave his life for his school. Literally, like, 15, 20 minutes ago, I was talking about that same dog. <laughs> Bringing it all full circle now. Yes. Um, and also, specifically, that Colin Firth played Mr. Darcy. <laughs> oh, oh, another casting gag that I only got this time. At one point, we see that the person who's looking up all the answers for the trivia is using Ask, which used to be called Ask Jeeves, named after Jeeves and Wooster, which was one of those dumb man solves crimes with the help of his very smart butler. And that was Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry uh, in those roles. And we have Stephen Fry in this movie, which it's so... it's. It's such a deep cut. It makes it, me so happy. It is very good. It's also ridiculous to see Ask.com being used. St. Trinity's came out in 2007. Literally the year before, they just they dropped the Jeeves from Ask Jeeves, and it just became Ask. Three years later, that site no longer existed. So, which school has a more pretentious name, would you say? So, we, uh, we have St. Trinian's, and we have Abbey Mount. 
I mean, both of them definitely draw in a little bit of religiosity. I will say, there is no Saint Trinian. That's not a guy. That's not a, <laughs> that's not a thing. <laughs> that does put a point in its favor that they made up a fake saint to make their school sound better. I rarely get to say this and have it be actually like liturgically correct. Saint Trinian is not canon. <laughs> I think that that makes it a little more pretentious because I think that an element of pretension is not being able to really back up what you're saying. <laughs> and a fake saint is entirely on brand. Yes. That's it. I'm wondering if one of the bells of St. is just like con their way into heaven by making up a saint. That sounds like a thing. It does. Yeah. This episode is running a little long, so here's a bit of a thing to learn here. Technically, there is a St. Trinian, but that's just a regional variant for the name for St. Ninian, also known as St. Ringian. He's not very well known. His whole thing is that he was the guy who went and preached to the Picts, as you do. Not very exciting. One weird thing about St. Ninian that I kind of like is that there's not a lot of information on him. Like, one of his biographers describes one of his sources as a source written in a barbarous language, and that's all we know, which sounds like the kind of thing you'd hear in, like, an Arthur Machen book. So, yeah, there isn't really, like, a St. Ninian following. Uh, although there is a St. Trinian's church on the Isle of Man. It isn't a church anymore. It doesn't. It's just sort of some ruins. You can go look at them. Uh, the reason it's not really a church is because there was a monster that did not want them to build that church. And there's just a bunch of stories about the bugging of St. Trinians, who basically would show up whenever they tried to build a roof on it and tear it down. Naming your school after a saint whose only church was never completed because a demon was stronger than it is incredibly on brand for St. Trinians. So, good choices, everybody. How about our alignment charts? Quite a few of these are going to be carryovers. Uh, so, for most prep, we have Catherine from Cruel Intentions versus Harriet from Wild Child. I think it's Catherine. She's and the Marsha fucking Brady of the Upper East Side. <laughs> yeah, it, it has to be Catherine. Catherine would have been a nightmare at Centrinians. Oh, dear. That's how Centrinians falls. <laughs> Not the school, the saint. <laughs> Okay, new canon. St. Trinian's has such a poor reputation that the Catholic Church had to decanonize St. Trinian. <laughs> and that's why there's no St. Trinian. I'm into it. I'm into it. Uh, for nerd, we have Chelsea and Kiki from... Hey, these are both from this episode. Kiki from Wild Child and Chelsea from St. Trinian's. I think I have to go with Chelsea just because she's more of a character than Kiki is. Yeah. She has an arc about intelligence, which I think is a nerd thing. Mm -hmm. And she has glasses. All right. For most goths, we have Andrea and Flip. I think his name is Flip. That I read my notes wrong. Yeah, the one who's like a ghost story from Finding Forrester. I think we have to go with Andrea. Yeah. <laughs> also, more of a character. Yes. Again, more of a character. And also, like, just look at Andrea. <laughs> yeah. I know they're emos, but come on. Also, through the course of the movie, her arc is uh, learning to make friends. And as we've established, goth and punk are the same thing. And female friendships are punk rock. <laughs> Meanwhile, we've got the rival whose name we forget from Finding Forrester and Grey from Centrinians? Greg? No. This no, Greg. That, that's Greg from Cruel Intentions. Catherine's ex-boyfriend who is gay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the gay football player. Yeah, the gay football player. Yeah, yeah. Nameless rival is more jock, but Greg is more of a character. You know what? We were too lazy to go <laughs> look and see if that character had a name. I'm going to go see it now. <laughs> Give me a new name. You've already chosen it. 
He just has to call it out. Okay. Um, I can't find a name. <laughs> it's not that he doesn't have one. It's just that it's not worth the time and effort to figure out what it is. Yeah, he, he is not a big enough part of that movie, and yeah. But honestly, I think that makes him more jock. He doesn't have a name or a personality or an arc. <laughs> he is only the football. Basketball. <laughs> he is only the basketball. Jesus Christ. We had a sports bracket. We did. He only exists in the context of the sports field. I think he is the platonic ideal of jock. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. I, I think we have to push the rival forward and... And then uh, rewatch the movie to find out his name. Yes. Uh, you know what? Wait, is that... Is his name Forrester? Is, is finding Forrester about finding his name? No, it's definitely not Forrester. Forrester is Sean Connery's character. <laughs> we didn't really come to a conclusion about what movie was mo- is moving on this week. I mean, I think Wild Child seems to be doing a lot of things better. I do not want to knock St. Trinian's. I know it has... We had a lot of qualms with the film. It's still a fun watch. I don't think it was quite as fun this time around, but I also don't think it should have been viewed this recently after the first viewing. I will say it was exactly what we needed after Cruel Intentions. Right. I think that, whereas I think that Wild Child is something that is worth looking into a little more, figuring out how it all works in, in all that jazz. Like, yeah. There's more to unpack there. Whereas Centrinians, I'm, I was kind of grasping at straws a little bit. Yeah. Centrinians is a fun movie, but it is... It is not complex. I don't think there's a lot more to discuss. I do think that we can go deeper with Wild Child, and I think from a technical standpoint, it is a more proficient film. Mm-hmm. I feel bad. I love St. Trinian's a great deal. It is just an odd breath of fresh air, but I I guess uh, St. Trinian's uh, will have to be foreclosed. But there's a sequel. They find gold, so true. they'll come back. They'll figure it out. So with that, already halfway through round two. Yeah, that was going pretty quick. What's up next week? So we are going to be talking about Mona Lisa Smile again, as well as Toy Soldiers. I'm kind of sad that things didn't wind up with Toy Soldiers versus Sky High, so we could have kind of the guy movie counterpart to this episode. Yeah, but I mean, it does mean we get Sky High versus School Ties. (laughs) Oh boy. You know, I want to point out, we are gods on this podcast. <laughs> we could just swap things. We could make Mona Lisa Smile and School Ties fights and then Sky High versus Toy Soldiers. Clearly better mashups that we need to have a conversation about. We could, but I don't like the precedence that sets for the bracketeering. I, we put a lot of effort into that, and I don't like fucking around with the bracket after the fact. <laughs> I know you're right, but... <laughs> I know. Yeah. In your In your heart of hearts, you wish it was not so. The Jackson Eflin story. <laughs> for more of the Jackson Eflin story, uh, and for more episodes like this one, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, anywhere you catch your pods. Once again, this has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.